Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're, you're, you're listening to the Adam Sandin Podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point. Wow. The fates, the gods are with the gods. Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. In case you're joining us for the first time, we're a bunch of friends who get together to enjoy chatting and knitting about, <laughs> weaving. It's a craft circle. It's a craft circle. It's a sharing circle. In fact, of the sublime, the stupid, and the what's the other thing? Football. Social. The social <laughs> around <laughs> AFL football. <laughs> I'm Emma Race. I'm Lucy Race. I'm Nicole Hayes. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. Oh, sorry, no, that's <laughs> the wrong show. I'm Kate Sear. <laughs> and I'm Felicity Race. We're very pleased to have you with us. We're short one Alicia sometimes today, but she'll be back on the field next week I'm sure just a warning before we hit um into get into today's show that there is going to be some sensitive topics raised today so make sure um you're prepared if you want to continue further we will be talking about um issues surrounding bullying consent and some issues of domestic violence so ladies round three Lucy how did you see it I saw it this way, that round three in which the three unbeaten became beaten, the two winless are now one winless, and percentage will be the stat on everybody's lips. We saw champions return in Erin Phillips. We saw champions stand up like the Daisy and Dana battle. We saw a champion fall in Katie Brennan. We saw champions emerge with Emily Maguire and Sophie Conway. Just another weekend at the office, really. <laughs> that sounded well, like an Alicia sometimes was, spoken word. Did you think that? I started it out, I thought it was a bit Enid Blyton, oh. in which three go on a footy trip. I was expecting have, some rhyming. <laughs> and saucepan head kicked a bag. No. And but had we now, lashings of ginger pop. Well, we, yes. In terms of percentage, there's 3.9% separating the top three pla- the top three teams now. So it's, it's close. Crazy. Actually, I think it was a great weekend for football because it blew it all wide open, apart from Collingwood, who remained winless. But it really did – it's just made it anything is really possible. Mm. There was one massive um, downside to the weekend that was seeing Katie Brennan injure her ankle. It's saying she's out indefinitely. And I just feel like – for this competition, mm. for this season, uh, especially for the Bulldogs having lost Izzy Huntington. Felicity, they're your team. How do you feel? What are they going to do up front? Look, to be honest, I feel a little bit deflated. I, I had them, you know, I talked about the year of the dog and then turned out it wasn't the weekend of the dog. Um, I, gee, I feel for Katie. You know, she's just, she's worked so hard to get back and, um, you know, I think, People always say a ligament's worse than a bone to, to injure. Yep. But either way, in a short season like AFLW, what are you going to do? You get a headache, you're out for three weeks. <laughs> you know, you're going to miss <laughs> half the season. It's so true. It's blink and you miss it. Okay, I've got a happy news story for you. Great. I rewatched the last six minutes of that Adelaide Western Bulldogs game. And as you know, it was a really tight one. It looks like they won by seven points, which seems like a like a lot, but actually the the goal was on the siren. So they were up by one point as the siren blew. This is Adelaide. But when I rewatched it, in the last six minutes when it was really, really tight, from the majority of those six minutes, the play was in the Bulldogs' um, attacking half. And it really, they were just playing so well. They were keeping it, they were really defending the ball from going up into Adelaide's grill. And Adelaide were throwing everything they had at it. And Can I, is that a new stat? It's a or new, something? Yeah, a new description. Up in the grill. Up in the grill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what I noticed was like Katie Brennan was amazing, of course, um, before she got injured. But there was some, there were some players that stood up for the Western Bulldogs in those dying seconds. And they looked like, players who knew exactly what they were doing in the dying seconds and they were Bonnie Too Good, 
Gogos, Wilds, Lockland, um, Ferris, Lamb, Callanan. So these are people that um, are probably not marquee players, but they really stood up for the Bulldogs. And I actually has a a guess to say that if Katie hadn't have got injured because the ball spilled out in front of her in that moment to three oncoming crows that I feel like that was the turning point right there that actually what they were doing their setup and their structures of the Bulldogs were really strong so if they can find someone that can kick some goals for them I don't think all is lost. Well I think they should be encouraged by the people who did kick goals last round because Emily Maguire 19-year-old on debut for Fremantle, kicked two goals. One of them, both of them were sublime goals. One of them won the match. So Fremantle kicked six goals straight. You can't complain about that. And Sophie Conway, who was the other rising star for um, Brisbane, she also kicked two goals. And they were really, they were really good ones. And she also showed a really great goal celebration because oh, she does right. the double fist pump. Oh, that's oh, nice. But there's a lovely little piece in the Footy Almanac this week, um, a little interview with Sophie's family, which is good to check out. One of the things that I was thinking about a lot over the, the round was the importance of top-tier players, as, you, as you're talking about. And there were a number of players who definitely stepped up. But I just want to go back a step and say a couple of weeks ago on our radio show, Shiloh Curtis talked about the fact that in the women's game, she feels like there's almost the need for a new stat so that rather than talking about inside 50s, we probably have to talk about inside 30s because that's what matters in the women's game. And the thing that I thought about on the weekend was that in the men's game, we also often hear about the bottom six, the importance of the bottom six, that your bottom six players really determine how good the team will be because... um, um, more or less across the competition, the first um, 12 or if, you know, if you're talking about 22, the first 16 will be kind of more or less e- equal. But in the women's game, I don't think we can talk about the bottom six. I think we've got to talk about probably the top two or the top three of any team as almost being um, uh, capable of determining a, a game. And I think we did see that on the weekend. I think the fact that Bree Davey is out was a big blow to Carlton and to their defensive structure. Um, Katie Brennan's loss, even though it was in the you know late in the game, as you said, M. Um, I think that does make a difference. And then, of course, conversely, the return of Erin Phillips, who, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, having her, she she was, I mean, clearly the best player in the competition last year. But having her come back in and almost single handedly win that game mm-hmm. without wanting to take away anything else from the other Adelaide players just speaks to me about the fact that in the women's competition, probably having one or two really good, really informed players is what might make the difference. And on the other hand, of course, losing one of those players is yeah. what might make the difference. And injury is just enormous now in the in the course of or the season. Suspended. Injury and suspension, yes. yeah. yeah. Uh, anyone else notice the rough and tumble mm. was a little was yeah. ramped up a, a bit over the weekend? A little rougher and tumblier. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> That's a word. For they sure. seem more intentional than accidental. There were more of those, weren't there? Yeah, there were. And mm. I've wondered, I've really noticed that the umpires put their whistles away in this game. Like I saw, there was a head high contact to Hannah Scott in that last little bit of play for the Western Bulldogs. She should have actually get a, got a free kick. She didn't. And that would have changed the outcome of the game as well. I may have watched that quarter too many times. But <laughs> um, I think that they're putting their whistle away. And I've wondered whether the for every action there's a reaction. So I wonder if they're putting their whistle away, people are getting frustrated and then it's these intentional things which we've seen be picked up and they'll be going to Michael Christian's house slash the MRP. (laughs) Can I say when someone puts the whistle away, I always wonder where they're putting it. it. Is it down the shorts? It, I like Katie Brennan in the, in the bra, in the sock. Mm. Is it in the sweaty mm. jocks? Sorry, that's just me. I'm sidetracked by that. I but see it really a teeny does. tiny pocket on a sh- pair of shorts. Nice. Yes, maybe a teeny where they tiny keep their pocket. keys. What were the reports, Nicole? Um, so, well, we had the, the we've had most of the penalties have been handed down now. So Taylor Harris, um, in a mm. very unpleasant incident with Leah Kasler's head. Um, she was done for um, low. It was considered intentional low conduct with sorry intentional conduct with low impact. So she's accepted a one match um, suspension for that. Adelaide's Dana Cox uh, was done for two separate incidents, and they yeah, were like seconds right apart uh, against Bulldogs. Um, she there was a striking charge incident on um, on Emma Kearney. Uh, one match for that, and a reprimand on um, Ellie. 
Ellie Blackburn. That's it was like, like getting a speeding fine when you're going through a red light. It, it is, especially when like the cops are sitting next to you. Like <laughs> yeah. she literally was. The bench was right in front of her. The umpire. Yeah, it was. It was not a mad well minute. Thought I think you call it a mad minute. <laughs> Easily. Um, and then we've got Collingwood. Sophie Casey has also accepted a one match ban for striking um, Cora Staunton in what mm. ended up with her having a blood, a broken nose, which is pretty brutal. I feel like and she that got awesome done strapping that they do. She got done for the same thing last season. Yes, that's correct. There's form, there's form, and she copped it for it too from her teammates. She got two. Did she get two weeks and last year? Two, one two last year. Yeah, yeah. So Gosh, and Cora was outstanding, though, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. You know, yes. and she uh, the fact that she managed to come back on, like I mean, I'd be down for months if that happened. To me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, did get she's tough as you were. Remember that time you fainted and hit your nose on the toilet bowl? No, I don't remember any of it. It's all gone. <laughs> but we saw two out. players come back out and have to play with their nose taped up. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, such an impressive look. I oh. always, I just think, how do they? How do you breathe? Yeah, properly? and they, they literally like take their mouth guards out to have a kick for goal, but to then have they're going to play a game like you know with yeah. their head all strapped up like that. I'm so impressed. But you know, in your um, what's that thing called? Peripheral no. vision. Peripheral vision. <laughs> You're pointing at your nose. There were hand yeah. signals. I knew what she was doing. Yeah, oh, that's a right. What, that's it's a sister, sister thing. thing. Oh yeah, we're good at Pictionary, aren't we? Yeah, we'll always beat your Pictionary. <laughs> um, your peripheral vision when you've got. Something like a yeah, crumb yeah, on your nose yeah, yeah, is bad, yeah. but when you've got like elastoplast over your whole face, Lucy. Okay, I'm just picking up on Kate's point about the top tier players. I think you know we saw Aaron have a great game, but Chelsea Randall was mm. unbelievable. 24 disposals, and she kept Katie Brennan to two goals. Yep. Daisy Pierce again against uh, that game against Fremantle. She had 23 disposals. Mm. She's leading the MVP votes at the moment. She had an absolute blinder and she looked like she was trying to win that game with every single ounce of her being. Mm. Can I just say, by the way, one thing that we haven't said is that it was an incredible weekend of footy. There were incredible The the games were fantastic Mm, and edge of the seat stuff and thrilling and I really particularly enjoyed watching GWS. And how good, there was some... Disappointing for Collingwood, but it was a great game. True. Can I just take you to the Fremantle game for a minute because Mm. something really struck me when I was watching it about um, one of the other attractions that I'm finding about AFLW is the old school advertising that you're seeing at some of the suburban grounds they're using and... Regular listeners uh, to our pod will know that the non-vegetarians amongst us are big fans of the chicken salt sign, (laughs) which I don't know if that's made it to the new Adelaide Oval. Maybe someone can let us know what's gone on with that heritage chicken salt sign. I feel like it did, but if you're you're there, can you snap a photo and let us know? Chicken salt watch. I was was watching the game from Fremantle and I've never been to Fremantle. And so in my mind, it's, you know, it's by the beach. It's a fishing village. It's... Well, it was beautiful. Every time the ball went into the forward pocket, there was this wonderful advertising sign for the guy who you could buy your cray pots from <laughs> with his mobile number on it. And I just thought, you know, when he invested in that piece of advertising, <laughs> he never expected to be on national television. Yeah. And I really hope that over the weekend he was inundated with inquiries about cray pots. <laughs> I think that's something <laughs> <laughs> For everything that happens on field, there's also a whole lot of stuff that happens off field. Nicole, what caught your eye this week? Uh, One of the commentators, Kate Sheehan, who our listeners would be very familiar with, she's pretty much the face of footy on Fox at the moment, women's footy on Fox, but she also commentates across the AFL-M competition as well. She made some comments on SEN's, uh, what's his name again? The one we shall not name? Waitley, I think it's called. (laughs) That's him. (laughs) On Monday afternoon. uh, That... Comments, I'm going to guess she's regrets, and I'm pretty sure that they were followed with an apology. But um, what what she actually said in um, that segment was she, and I'm going to quote that, if I was Wayne Siegman, I would be a very nervous man right now. I don't know how someone like that keeps their job. He's working for the most powerful club in the land. And she's talking about obviously about Collingwood coach um, Wayne Siegman. This is a problematic for, for very many reasons. I think, firstly, it, it's unheard of in the AFLW space for a coach's head to be, you know, job to be on the line. Um, having someone, a commentator, um, is bad enough, I think, calling for their job. But, it's you know, it, AFLW is not beyond criticism, but that does seem a fairly outrageous thing to say. Um, what is it? Would it be 12 weeks in or something? He would have done 10 games that, at, the, at this point. So that's a fairly – feels a little early to be um, calling for somebody's job. 
But I think the biggest issue is um, that this is not – Kate Sheehan is a commentator, but she is not neutral in the way that a lot of commentators are supposed to be at least, or at least how she's presented. She is actually the Richmond – women's football operations manager. Um, and, you know, although obviously the Tigers don't have a team at the moment, they will in 2020. And this is absolutely a conflict of interest. I, I really think it's problematic and really challenging. Something that obviously occurs in the AFLM as well. Um, there are some very high profile uh, commentators who are also club officials. But um, I think this is really, really challenging in this new space. One of the the problems with the AFLW, obviously, is that so many of the people attached to the game are part-time. So there is impetus and and need for them to have jobs outside of that, and the media is probably the main space where that's available. Uh, I do think clubs have to start thinking about that in terms of whether they um, Mm -hmm. can give them the disincentive so that they can actually be committed to to the club or have media pursue media careers, but um, you know, I, she did follow up with a, with an apology. Um, apparently, not a public one, but that's that's on the record that she did apologise to Wayne Seekman. And the fact that she is a former Collingwood player, uh, admittedly, she played a very what ten minutes, I think, one game uh, before she did her knee. I don't know. I feel like that's even worse. It's sort of more conflict there, and and probably more hurtful to Wayne Seekman. I would think. Do you think that when a club releases an employee to have a role in commentary, there should be maybe some more direction from the club about, you know, this is, you know, talk yeah. in this space, but outside of this, it, things are off limits? Do I you imagine, mean Richmond? Do you th- mean yeah, Richmond? Yeah, I'm just wondering, thing, I'm, you know, with someone who's, you know, not a super experienced um, media person no. um, and going into something, <clears> do, do you just think maybe there should have been some I'm more? I'm betting she got plenty common sense? direction after Monday. I'm going to be really controversial and say yeah. I loved it because I don't really see why. I mean, we talk about oh, you should that player shouldn't get a game because they didn't play well. I don't see why coaches. It's a real it's a real taboo to say, and I guess it's because you're picking a fight from another club, right? That's mm. where I see that yeah. there is a conflict. But if she was just a media performer, if she was just in media space, I'd be like. Well, I think that's quite refreshing to yeah. say that um, that you think that he's not doing a good job, especially if you've come from the club, because I feel like, well, she's maybe got intel. The mm. thing that muddies the water for me is the Richmond connection, yeah. and I don't think Richmond would have loved it. I don't know that they want to start picking fights. I, I, I do have a problem with her choice of words, mm. that she said, I don't know how a man like that... Is that what she said? She said, she said I don't know how someone like that someone keeps like their that. job. Someone yeah. like that. And mm. so for me, that actually personalises it. I mm. think if you're going to give someone criticism, talk in terms of um, coaching moves or performance, basically, um, rather than sort of attacking the person. It's and possible that that's what she was intending. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just that she Absolutely. likes the wrong words. Yep. Yeah. But yeah. that's an experience factor, isn't it? I mean, and, and she's not widely or broadly experienced this has all sort of happened very quickly in the last couple of years she's kind of an unexpected kind of uh commentator and even to have that role in at richmond i don't feel like there is a whole lot of experience there maybe this is her is being called out right now i feel like there's a bit of a domino effect of blame going on around the collingwood club too that you know we've got commentators blaming the coach the coach came out after the game and made some comments about the umpiring um you know there's Players, families commenting on who's being selected. Um, there's so much going on mm, around. Point, yeah, well, everyone's pointing the finger at the next person at the moment. On so, a super yeah. positive note, though, it was lovely to see Mo um, yeah. play well on the weekend, get some possessions, kick some goals, and I felt like we were at the game and it was a beautiful vibe. That The Collingwood supporters have got the backs of these players and then um, their gorgeous skipper, Steph um, Kiochi. Kiochi. Kiochi? It's Kiochi. Kiochi. Mm. put um, an Instagram post up last night just saying we're going to keep our eyes forward mm. and keep moving forward. They, and they then just missed out. I mean, it wasn't like they it, were... No, they were, they were right in it. Yeah, they were right in it. Yeah. Can I say Meg Hutchins played an outstanding game. I was watching it on, on TV and, you know, sometimes you find people are a bit more visible when, you know, when you're watching the game on TV and um, I, I just thought she had such an effect on the game. I thought, well done to her. Kate, you had a story you wanted to share with us this week. Yeah, I did. I wanted to um, tell you a story, if I could, um, about something that happened a few years ago that um, 
has always stayed in my mind and that relates to something that's been happening back here in AFL in Australia. So if you just indulge me for a bit, I want to take you back to March 2012. Um, I was living in London back at that time and um, one, I think it was one Saturday afternoon, I was watching the FA Cup, the soccer quarterfinal, which was between the Bolton Wanderers and Tottenham Hotspur. And um, in a very um, unfortunate incident, a player who was playing for Bolton at the time by the name of Fabrice Mwamba had a cardiac arrest and collapsed on the pitch. I don't know if you guys remember that story, but it was a huge story. Um, He was live on television. Obviously, it was a sold out crowd and he was on the pitch and um, as it turned out his heart had stopped for and his heart stopped for 78 minutes in the end Um, he was taken from the ground he was in intensive care for a number of days I think he was in an induced coma and this became a massive story not just in London but across the UK and across all of Europe over the weekend that unfolded and there was an outpouring of support for him when he was on life support in or in intensive care in the days that followed not just from fans of his own club but fans of rival clubs players players from across not just the UK but right across the continent players uh, turned up uh, to their games that weekend with t-shirts that said we're praying for Fabrice we're praying for Mwamba etc it was an extraordinary sporting moment Um, but what happened over that weekend actually as Mwamba lay on the pitch um, as it turned out um, unconscious actually dead for a short period of time was that one student who was named Liam Stacey tweeted in the midst of this media storm or maelstrom some racially offensive epithets. Um, Mwamba is of um, uh, African descent and other things mocking Mwamba because it was believed at that time that Mwamba had died. Now, as it turned out, eventually Mwamba did survive and um, which was wonderful miraculous um, story but it was the story of Liam Stacey actually that has stuck with me forever that student who tweeted because he was arrested the day after he sent those tweets so I think on the Sunday and within about a week or so he had been tried convicted uh, pled guilty and was jailed for 56 days for making those tweets now, you can say whatever you want about that sentence, yeah. It was an extraordinary sentence and, and whether it was too harsh or what it means for free speech and so on. But it's always stuck in my mind because of the speed of the response and the severity of the criminal law response in the UK. And I've thought about it a lot over the last few days because I think it is so far removed from what we see here in Australia, particularly with the abuse of athletes like for, foremost in my mind at the moment is Hannah Mouncey. So Hannah Mouncey, who, as our listeners will probably remember, is the first transgender woman to want to play AFL, um, AFLW in this country, or at least um, at that level, she has been subjected to a torrent, an absolute torrent of hate speech, transphobic speech, transphobic memes, vitriol, abuse, and also, as we're aware, many death threats over the last few days because she wants to play this sport. In a few weeks' time, um, that South African athlete, that incredible South African athlete, Caster Semenya, will come to the Gold Coast and compete in the Commonwealth Games. And she herself has endured similar abuse over the last few years. So I'm left wondering why it is that we see such a swift response in the case of Mwamba and what feels like absolute radio silence and very little action from responsible organisations and authorities here in Australia. Now, it's worth mentioning a statistic that's shocking, which is um, based on some research, which um, Hannah herself brought to my attention just recently, that 48% of trans youth have attempted suicide at some stage in their lives and rates of depression and anxiety and so on are much higher. So I, I accept that um, if we go back to Liam Stacey, that everybody who acts in the way that Liam Stacey did the, all those years ago is responsible for their own behaviour and Liam Stacey owned it and um, I think uh, it impacted him and his life significantly. But I want to reflect on the systems and structures that enable this kind of hate speech and transphobic speech to take place. Sporting organisations talk a lot about protecting the integrity of sport, particularly when it comes to things like doping Um, But often the implicit message when it comes to transgender people or intersex people playing sport is that those people are a threat to the integrity or the 
purity and the sanctity of sport. And I'd like I could say a lot about that. Um, but I think it's really important to remember that we live in a world that's dominated by binary systems, binary sporting systems where we have men's teams and women's teams and nothing else really. And that trans people and intersex people are habitually othered or made abject to those structures. They sit outside of them and it is incumbent upon us, it's incumbent upon sporting organisations to find ways to include them rather than to make them the problem and to enable that kind of speech. And I think a lot of that work is happening here in Australia, but I think more could be done to be more proactive. I would like to see sporting organisations much more clearly and openly denounce that kind of speech, the kind of speech to which Hannah and others are subject, and also even to consider um, some kind of action, for example, against members of clubs who speak in this way, but particularly members who threaten violence or who, who direct death threats to these athletes. That's absolutely unacceptable. And I think there must be consequences, whether they're of the kind that we saw in, U- in the UK with Mwamba is um, something that we could debate. But some, some kind of action is needed because trans people, intersex people exist. I know that's maybe it sounds a bit funny to, to put it like that, but it, they exist we have to include them. They're here. We need to do something and I think we need to do more. Here, here, Kate. Thank you for saying that. It means a lot. It'll mean a lot to people listening. And it's funny because a lot of the time I think we're preaching to the converted. If you're listening to this podcast yeah. and if you've been with us on the journey, then look, we're probably singing from the song, same song sheet. But I think what is important about you mentioning these things and, and the topics that we're talking today about in the melee are pretty rough and pretty hard going and I just cried when you were talking about that because um, I it's been too much seeing the hate that Hannah's been getting um, but I think what's important is that we just want you guys listening to know that we see you and we're listening to you. But also too that as members of clubs we have perhaps a voice and an ability Absolutely. those of us those of our listeners if we are preaching to the choir we might we might be um to in a lot of instances but if you're a member of a club and and you're concerned about that kind of action perhaps you should ask your club what are you doing to mm-hmm. to look at these members I mean Hannah in recent days screenshotted message after message after message that she received and tweeted it but I think if we are members of clubs. We have a voice, and perhaps we can ask our clubs what they're doing to be more inclusive and proactive, and um, and to try and address some of this stuff. I have found Twitter really confronting in the last week, and I think that season two of AFLW is dishing up a lot of challenges, especially you know for some of the older players or the players who are the pioneers who have been on have kind of been not getting picked, or um, there's been so much criticism about people's game style, and yeah. I think that there, I think it's hard. I think it's really hard for the players. I'm certainly finding it hard to read as a fan, Lucy. I picked up on a tweet this week, and and it was an interesting weekend. I know we won't talk much about AFLX, but AFLX really did um, get in the way of of us watching AFLW this weekend, and there was a tweet that came out, the, and it ended with basically saying. You know, there just isn't any scoring. Like the game is, the game's good enough, but there just isn't any scoring, which makes it a tough sell. And I read that tweet and I thought, to who? Um, mm. There just there seems to be this ongoing discourse in some circles that AFLW is not doing enough itself to sell the game to an, and to ensure its survival. That to me feels like a really false concern by some journalists who don't know enough about AFLW to actually make informed observations. And I think if the juxtaposition of AFLX versus AFLW showed us anything meaningful, it's that goals do not maketh the game. Mm. A contest does. And if we're talking about a contest, AFLW has this in spades. The players of the AFLW continue to put on an intense, entertaining contest every game, in some cases, in spite of conditions that professional male athletes would never accept, like really poor lighting. Mm. Without marketing support, without free-to-air coverage, radio coverage of all games it's going to be really hard to reach those new audiences and it feels really disingenuous to put that on the players i think it was beck hayne i think in her piece where she said that the cost of the goalposts, those lit up fluorescent mm. goal posts was roughly equivalent to the marketing budget for aflw mm. 
um, that they shipped around the country. That they shipped from around the country. So the, the the cost involved in doing that, in having that effect, was equivalent to the entire marketing budget for AFLW. And you know the AFLW fans who are already committed, you know we're fine with the game. I'm really sick of being told that we're not. Do you I really find am. that? Do you find that really ironic that there was lit up goalposts, but this week we heard that there was no budget for extra for lighting at, oh, <laughs> at Princess Park? They're actually taking the piss. Maybe if they put all those silver footballs that are now superfluous next to the lights, it would have like reflected some extra light onto Prinny Park. Last week, you know that I said, can we keep the W? And a few people have actually approached me this week and said, yes, can we keep the W? And I think if you guys are keen... Um, listeners, if you're keen on keeping the keeping the W, I think we should start a hashtag. Can we keep the W? Let's <laughs> yeah. ask nicely. Let's yep. ask politely, but let's make our case and ask if we can keep the W. Nice. So, Lucy, I haven't been able to ignore either um, what the chatter has been around the skills and the goals. It just continues um, that their skills are bad. There's not enough goals. I've even read comments about um, how some people are just even confronted by the mere fact that AFLW is on TV. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you read it, but a former great and current octogenarian, Neil Roberts, was asked his thoughts on AFLW and he added to the negative chat, unsurprisingly, because he was a proud former great who played when the patriarchy went completely unchecked. But he was asked what he thinks of women playing football and you can read his response. It's not doesn't really bear repeating in this room. But what I wish that he had been asked and what I would actually like to know is what he thinks about the recent charges against Shannon Grant. Because we hear a lot from Twitter and journos about the low scores and the bad skills. But for fans of AFLM, for women, for us in this room who love the code, we have been confronted by the game by things so much worse than low scoring matches and imperfect skills. We have been asked to accept and believe in the redemption of Wayne Carey as he hosts White Ribbon Round. We were confronted with the Stephen Milne trial. If you've read Anna Crean's book Night Games, you would have been confronted with allegations of rape, abuse and power. And so, of course, today Shannon Grant is back in um, court. He's facing up to 18 offences, including assault. And just recently I've been again horrified by the violence that was perpetrated by Justin Murphy against his former partner. In July 2016, we heard the graphic details of Nick Stevens' assault on his then-girlfriend, and that story continues. I've heard a prominent AFLW player admit that she fell out of love with the game and stopped playing because she didn't know how to process the St Kilda schoolgirl story. I even hate saying the word schoolgirl because, mm-hmm. you know, in, so the age, in the age of Me Too, I don't think that story happens no you know I don't think that rolls out the same way mm-hmm. but she but so this AFLW player was so confronted by it because she loved St Kilda and she was a member and a fan of that club and then just last year Lucy and I slept out we wanted to give our support to Richmond we slept out for tickets and we enjoyed it and we cheered on the Tigers and then the next morning woke up to the Nathan Broad text message so for decades we female fans of footy, we've supported the men's game, we've paid our memberships, we've bought the merchandise, but we've also been asked by our friends and strangers to justify the behaviour of the players, the stance of the clubs and the morality of the code that we love. Now, I love my team and I love this game, but I don't know how to reconcile the racism and the sexism and the misogyny around the game and I can no longer defend it. And on Twitter recently, I was um, told that it was a total cop-out to cite the positive social ripples that the AFLW has created in defence of the scrappy opening night game. And this has stayed with me because what I can't do is split the joy that AFLW gives me onto on-field and off-field experiences because the AFLW gives us something to hold on to to keep us invested in the code. It's a safe place for us to celebrate our love of this game. So I can easily defend what lack of skills there may be. And defending the numbers on the scoreboard, that is so easy because it doesn't hurt my sisters, their kids, the code or the community. Okay, one supremely positive thing that I saw this week was the beautiful pride jumpers um, that have come out for the, that have come out, quite literally come out (laughs) for the Western Bulldogs and Carlton match, which is this Friday. Lucy, you're our um, reporter on all things pride. 
Well, this Friday night is a really exciting night because the AFLW is going to have its first Pride game and it's five years since Jason Ball started that Pride game back in Yarra Glen and it's now actually becoming a movement where so many clubs across the country really want to have their own Pride game and that is just an awesome social change that we're seeing. So 7.05 on Friday night at the Witten Oval, this game is going to kick off. I had a chat to Will Strack from the Bulldogs Pride group about about what this means. Thanks, Will, for joining us today. Um, I'd really like to ask why the Bulldogs have instigated the first AFLW Pride game. Well, for those of us in Bulldog Pride, it just feels like a natural next step, really. Um, The club's been so welcoming of us as a group. They were such strong supporters of marriage equality. They really came out strongly on that. They've had people like Ro Allen, the Commissioner for Gender and Sexuality, come in and talk to the staff. And so for us, really, a Pride game made total sense because the club's been so... They don't just walk the, they don't just talk the talk on things like inclusiveness and diversity and promoting equality, which they say are their values, but they're really... Yeah, they're walking the walk on it. So what does a Pride game mean for the Bulldogs and the Carlton Pride groups, but, but also for the wider community? Well, there are lots of LGBTIQ people like us who love the footy, um, but the truth is that footy hasn't always loved us and that footy clubs and footy grounds haven't always been very welcoming and even safe places for us. Um, And the evidence is that LGBTIQ people still don't always feel safe and that there are still incidents of homophobia and transphobia. So um, for us, it, it tells us as a community that footy is actually changing and that they want us to feel like we're part of that footy family and that's really important to us and then for the it what it does for the broader community is it tells that minority of people who still say or do derogatory things that that this isn't the place for that and the evidence from the the men's pride game is that it empowers LGBTIQ people and also allies that they feel more able to stand up and and speak up about that. And that means that for us, as footy supporters, that we can relax and we can sit down and enjoy the footy together with all of our mates. What are you looking forward to, especially this Friday night? Well, the truth is I'm looking forward to the whole weekend because it's going to be massive. Um, There's the footy game on Friday night. We're hoping for a corker of a game in just a sea of rainbows. Um, On Saturday, we've got the Western Bulldogs Family Day, so Bulldog Pride is going to be down there. We've got the clubs kind of set up a space for us and we'll, we'll be out with all of our footy community. And then on Sunday, I'm getting married. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. It's That's so... a massive weekend. <laughs> this weekend is like, I swear, it's the best weekend of my life, oh. except for possibly the 2016 grand final weekend. That was massive too, but this one I think is going to top it. Well, that is a nice competition to have between those two. <laughs> yeah. Now, we've seen um, Emma Carney rocking the Bulldogs Pride jumper. Yes. If people want to get one of those jumpers for themselves, how do they go about that? Um, so you can go onto the Western Bulldogs uh, website and you, you go to the shop section there and you can order yourself one of those. I, I'm not 100% sure whether they'll be available at the ground on the on Friday night, but I do know that you can pre-order them now. Okay. And the details for our listeners, so how can people be a part of the game if they can't get to the Witten Oval on Friday? So it's going to be streamed on the AFL website and on the AFL Women's app, or you can listen to it on... Um, Joy FM 94.9 and I think it's the ABC Grandstand game of the um, round as well. Correct. Will, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations. What an awesome weekend you have lined up. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be amazing. The Carlton Pride group are also going to be a really big part of this night. So I think, have you seen the jumper that Darcy was wearing? So Darcy actually designed that Carlton Pride logo If you would like to buy one of those jumpers, you can contact the Carlton Football Club. Um, If you buy them this week, you'll be able to pick them up on Friday night, either from the club or at the game itself. The Carlton jumpers, the match jumpers that the girls wear, are actually all going to be auctioned off and the proceeds are going to go to the charity of choice for each Carlton player. And I think it's just nice to, to note that Carlton Pride was formed 
just at the beginning of 2017, they now have 60 financial members and a whole lot of people following them on Facebook. So if you want to find out any more information about getting involved in that group, you can go and have a look at the links that we'll put them up on our website. Um, can I just on that? I didn't know Darcy had designed that. I saw her last night because she was she filled in for Daisy on the t- the online TV show I'm doing with Sam Lane and. I said to Darcy, I love that jumper so much. Can I buy it? I didn't know she'd designed it. And she didn't say, yeah, I designed it. Like she's just so humble. humble. And the other thing that's really humble about Carlton, I just have been meaning to say this for a while, went down there over summer and um, was talking to some of the girls and I was saying, so how are you going? And every time I asked them how they were going, I meant them personally, every single one of them without any question um, answered as the group. They didn't answer individually. Isn't that lovely? I think we should maybe try that. You think they should? I've noticed all of the interviews go like that, though, after the games. Like, they, they, the, the interviewer will ask about their players' performance and they barely even let that sentence go out before they say, oh, it was a team effort. You know, I was so proud of the girls. It's been beautiful watching that. (laughs) Media training? Yeah, but I felt because it was over summer and it wasn't being recorded or anything I felt like it's actually just how they truly feel they're so part of a team I like that yeah I like that too so one thing I have noticed is there is definitely an increase of female um, coaches and assistant coaches I know Beck Goddard and Mish Cowan we've spoken to them a bit on this um, podcast and on our radio show but there's a lot more assistant coaches and and females coming up the rank um, through the ranks of um, coaching so we did a bit of a deep dive and Nicole you and Alicia caught up with some people who'd done some really interesting research yeah we spoke to Dr. Fraser Carson and Dr. Julia Walsh from um, Deakin University about pathways for women through the coaching programs. Thanks for coming in. Um, Can you tell us about the research you're involved in at the moment? Thanks for having us. Um, We've been doing some research that started looking around coach well-being uh, and a whole range of different sports. Uh, But a couple of things that started to come out of that was the lack of women in coaching and the less opportunities for them in there as well. Uh, There's a few issues that that started to come out. One of the interesting things in one of the interviews we conducted um, was an individual sport uh, coach who was actually complaining about a male coach trying to steal her athletes saying she wasn't quick enough wasn't fast enough couldn't do the same times so it actually started gets you thinking about well what's kind of going on here um and then we obviously have the the increase in participation numbers you heard regularly last week kind of talking about increases at 70,000 80,000 new female participants in the in the AFL last year but we actually have a, a lack of women in coaching and particularly when we get to that high performance level um, so a lot of our research is, is, is based around identifying some of those challenges, barriers, uh, issues that go on. Um, uh, as I said, we have good numbers in with coaches, at, female coaches at lower levels and introductory levels. But uh, when it gets to, to high performance coaching, the, those numbers really dwindle. And, and actually the amount of women in uh, coach education programs actually seems to drop off quite a lot as well. Uh, so one of the key, key things we're looking at what are perhaps some of the strategies that we can promote women get more involved in coaching. Uh, I think it's an important thing. If we're trying to encourage more girls to participate in sport and stay involved in sport, well, if they're not seeing any uh, female coaches out there, they say, well, where do I actually go? Uh, if we, we think about coaches, we probably get a stereotypical view of a white, privileged male um, who's, who's the coach. And those behaviours perhaps are we're changing and we know within coaching, particularly when we start to go up to high performance levels, uh, we get... Um, different behaviours, different skill sets are, are required and it's working with people as opposed to just telling people what to do anymore. you got to see it to be it. So what are the numbers uh, uh, of coaches that you're looking at? How many women have you looked at and for how, over what kind of period are you looking at? Yeah, we started off with a, with a survey uh, I said really around the coach well-being. We had a great response from coaches, uh, over 600 coaches. Um, but you look at the, the breakdown of that, there was just over 100, so about 23% were actually female coaches. Uh, and that's similar across the board um, in different areas of sports leadership and different strength and conditioning coaches, different administrative things in sport. We, we see that with some of the research numbers are, are sit around that kind of low 20%. 
Is this um, across a whole range of sports? Is it not just footballs or yeah, football? We, we, we started looking at a whole range of sports. Uh, I must admit within that 600, uh, probably almost 50% of them actually were within football coaches. Okay. Um, and as I said, while we still see some reasonable numbers at, at that lower level qualification, so they're, they're introductory level qualifications, when we start going up to high performance sport, it's... Yeah, they're missing. You even look at the, the AFLW, you, you've got two senior coaches or, or female coaches. There's, I think it's four assistant coaches uh, mm. in there at that level. And there's similar numbers in the, in the VFLW. Uh, so it's, you, you think there, there needs to be some kind of change. Julia, um, I'm just wondering about perception in sports. So what is the perception of the female co- uh, coach in, in all your years of lecturing in sports coaching? What's the perception around the female coach? Ah, oh, the perception. The, look, the perception still is that the coach is is male. It's it's gendered. The gender behaviours are around the sort of the hyper masculinity end of the scale, um, and, and the behaviours of I suppose the male behaviours are the the acceptable behaviours. So that really challenges, I think, the the identity for the female coach. If you're not behaving in a certain way, you're not capable of coaching. Um, so that makes it very very difficult to even. Uh, get a start and then travel up that ladder. And I think what the research has shown us, and really if we look at women sport coaches, that research is probably, um, gee, we'd be lucky if it's 15 years of age. Mm. So it hasn't had a long history. But what we've learned from that are, um, is that you can't, with, with female coaches, you can't problematise the woman. You can't make the woman like a man. All right, we've uh, women have got a, a lot to offer, and I think what we see with coaching too is we're seeing some of those gender behaviours moving at the top level, but they're not explicit, and people down at the ground level don't see those. So we we need to get a shift at one end, and we need to get women confident enough to believe that they can coach the way they think is okay to coach. But uh, one of the interventions for women that has looked at, that has been successful is actually showing them and telling them what that sort of socio-cultural environment is that they're walking into. Because if you know what you're walking into, uh, you don't uh, internalise it that you're the problem within that space as well. You're able to actually go in there and actually start to look at, identify, and then look where can I make a change or what can I do here. So you empower them in those spaces. Is but, it is it just a I mean, you know, obviously there's, there's, you said that the introductory or the, the uh, lower levels, there is interest in the training and the qualifications, but it's not, um, it's not transferring over into the professional sphere or the long-term sphere. Is it a question of money? Look, I, don't, I think for most coaches, they don't do it for money. Yeah, right. All right. But Except at the elite level at where the, it becomes a bigger question. At, at, and that's a lifestyle. And I, mm. I often think, you know, you get paid to do it and then you... Uh, you got paid for for that, but you then actually don't have a lifestyle anymore. Um, mm. That's what happens with coaching. <laughs> Big trade-off, yeah. But, well, sport, I think, for the yeah. intensity for that period. But I think one of the things that we need to think about for women is that they don't get the same opportunities with experience. So how do we provide opportunities for them to leapfrog in those spaces? So... Um, You've got someone that's coaching in the AFL, they've been with the league, now the league, the players are taking a leap and the coach always has to be ahead of the game and they look for coaches that can take the league and stretch it up or bring it up to the next level. But we need to have more opportunities for women probably to actually coach in spaces such as like a high-performance um, youth men's team mm-hmm. or the VFL. They need to be able to coach at those levels so that they've got that experience that actually brings up what they're work ready. They're Mm. work ready and Mm. they can bring the team up as such. So we need to create these dual pathways for women. Men have always had the dual pathway. When women's sport gets profile, men have, you know, if they've been waiting in the wings, here's an opportunity for them to come in and coach. And and we see that. Mm. And well, there's an interesting thing in the US where they had men's basketball and women's basketball at pay parity. And um, what happened was the men's uh, men wanted to step into the female coaching roles. What what uh, is there more evidence of this and why did that happen? It's, it's an interesting one as well. And uh, one of the comments that I actually overheard at the, the start of the AFL women's last year was it's a great opportunity for male coaches to cut their teeth in it. Mm. So they now have a greater or wider opportunity to get in 
paid to do their coaching roles to get that experience. Uh, you've mentioned on this show before about the lack of opportunities for, for women in, in coaching roles particularly. Well, how are they going to get experience if we're not actually giving the, the chances to do it as well? And yeah, as I said, because of the well, the, the monetary uh, interventions there that's allowed more or males have seen it as, oh, I can do that. And I've actually got the experience, whereas the, the women haven't had that opportunity before. Yeah, so they need to get that experience to mm. be able to, uh, to be work ready. And that's, that's one of the things that's sort of missing. Though if we look at um, Beck Goddard, mm. look, she's coached in, in high-performance men's mm. teams as yeah. well. She's got that experience and I think also her background in uh, people management. And AFP. Yes, place, yeah, yeah, has prepared her well for that role. But mm. we need, we also need that story to be put up in light mm. so that people can actually see it. Because I always say for women with that pathway, um, it's like going into a maze. So if you're a coach and you want to um, work in that space, but the lights are off. Mm. You don't even know where the entry is often. Mm -hmm. But for the male, they've just about got a sat nav and someone in front of them and someone behind them. (laughs) Someone carrying their luggage. Absolutely. (laughs) And making their sandwiches. Thing, But I think there's also some things to learn from the males too because they'll tick off, oh, I'm going to apply for that job. I can tick off on 60% of that. And then I'll go in and I'll learn on the job and I'll use my networks where we tend to think 100%. And I'm going in fully formed. Well, I think we need to say, well, we don't have to have everything. We'll learn on the job. But we have to create and help with the, some of the network building. So, you know, we've got to be sort of fair in understanding or learning from, from each other too in that space. But I think we should position change as opportunity here as to what can we do and where can we go with this. Um, and we've got to bring everyone along for the ride. So mm. it's not just the athletes. You've got to bring your players along. Oh, sorry, the athletes, the coaches, the board, you've got to bring them all along on that ride, which means you've got to have a long-term vision um, to be able to do that because they need that lead time. If you look at the AFL, um, the men's, AFL-M, as we like to call it, um, the, uh, if you look at someone like Peter Searle, who has come up through the ranks, she had a champion very early on from within the ranks, Gary Ayres. Uh, is that the sort of thing that needs to happen is you've got someone who's got the credibility, got the authority, in a position to actually make some of those decisions, those hiring decisions, leading the charge and forcing change where perhaps it's not going to happen naturally? Yeah, I think people with that authority have been able to change it and actually uh, willing to risk uh, going against perhaps what people will say about making that choice or that's the wrong choice. Or uh, You actually do need people inside to, that allow those opportunities. Yeah, I know Patisar, I worked at Melbourne Demons for a while and she came in for, for a short period there to get a bit of experience as well. Uh, and it was, it was really nice to, to see some of those kind of opportunities. Um, I, you'd like to see more of it happening and mm-hmm. more opportunities for, for women to get in and see what's happening. So to get the experience, they understand, well, actually, I can do that job as well. Um, but yeah, definitely need a few champions in there. You've made me feel more optimistic about the <laughs> coaching space. Thank you so much. We've been speaking to Dr. Fraser Carson and Dr. Julia Walsh, and we'll definitely uh, put up more information about uh, sport coaching. Thanks so much, guys, for coming in. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, well, thanks for that, Nicole. I really enjoyed listening to that chat. And um, on off the back of that, actually, Felicity and I sat down to talk to Tracy Kick, who is an assistant coach at GWS. I mean, with a name like Kick, where else would she <laughs> end up? If Specky McGee gets an AFLW rewrite, then surely Tracy Kick is the obvious choice for the new lead character. In real life, however, Tracy is well known in New South Wales football circles for her coaching experience with girls and women's teams. This year, she joined the GWS Giants and joins us to talk about her new role. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you. So, Tracy, tell us a little bit about your pathway into coaching at GWS. How did you end up there? Yes, well, it's a bit of a long pathway, but I'll give the abridged version. Um, I used to be a PE teacher, um, but before that, I grew up in Western Victoria in the country, in Hamilton, and um, so I had a great love for AFL right from my own youth, but unfortunately, in an era where I couldn't play football, so I never got to play. Um, And if we fast forward to my teaching career, was actually all in Queensland um, and um, as a PE teacher I introduced AFL to probably five schools there for um, both in, at co-ed and um, girls schools uh, and my first coaching experience was with the boys at school level um, 
at the very beginning of my coaching career. So I, I did coach very early in my career. Um, sort of fast forward a few years and I didn't do much in the AFL space um, for a little while and then I moved to Sydney where I played for three years as a mature age player. <laughs> um, and um, really at the end of that, um, my love for AFL was just too great. So I, I stayed, um, started um, working as a club administrator, um, you know, voluntarily, but ended up coaching um, and sort of formally started coaching again in 2009 um, when I was at the Belmain Dockers Women's Club. Um, after that, um, I, I was lucky enough to get some opportunities to coach the New South Wales women's team um, in the old national championships um, and, um, and then some other representative opportunities. But I've, I've remained coaching at the Premier Division um, at club level since 2009 um, and this year will be my 18th year in New South Wales women's football wow. which is fairly unbelievable <laughs> um, so um, yeah to to get to the Giants I guess um, I didn't really know if I'd get the opportunity to be honest I thought the opportunity might pass me but um, yeah no really fortunate to um, have I guess my experience recognised um, and uh, be op- offered an opportunity to be an assistant coach at, at GWS this year. So what is your your role in the, the coaching team there at GWS? Yeah, so I'm an assistant coach and um, I'm in charge of defence. So I've got the back line. Mm. We've been doing a fantastic job recently, <laughs> Tracy. Tell us, what is the step up like once you move into an AFL club environment? Yeah, look, it's it's been a fantastic experience, that's for sure, and it did a step up. Um, I've, for a long time, I've been um, a head coach um, and not necessarily with a whole bunch of assistant coaches, so um, it, it is a very different role to what I'm used to performing, but I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Um, probably for me, um, the step up is around, you know, the support that you have, so, you know, I mean... We have footage of every training session. We have footage of every game. We have um, analysts and and you know support staff that are providing data to you. You know almost so much data that you know that you don't really have the fullness of time to interrogate it all. But you know you take from it what um, what you think you can use um, meaningfully um, in the short space that we're there. Because of course we're there only um, the same number of hours as. The girls and um, myself and the other three assistant, other two assistant coaches still work pretty much full time. So um, I'm about to have a you know selection meeting at lunchtime at the office on the phone <laughs> with the rest of the with the rest of the coaching panel. So um, the step up, I guess, the demands uh, as you would expect greater, um, and the time that you need to put in is greater, but the support is much greater. Um, and um, the learning experiences are, you know, sort of out of this world, especially working with Al McConnell and um, and Mark and, and Adrian who were involved in last year's GWS team. With um, When we talk to players, we often talk about the, the players who are coming up and the you know, who are following them. Is there a, a sort of a, a group of up-and-coming female coaches in New South Wales who are going to follow you up the pathway? Mm, that's an interesting question. Um, the coaching pathway in New South Wales is probably still, you know, a little underdeveloped, and I guess it reflects the whole of the New South Wales footy picture, I guess. Um, and um, but there are some coaches that I've been working with and had worked with in the past who are doing great things and actually doing them in other states at the moment. So. Um, uh, Chrissy Steen, who's coaching in the Sands Hall, um, Lisa Roper, just who was my one of my assistant coaches at the Uni of New South Wales Eastern Suburbs um, Club last year, has gone to Darabin as an assistant coach this year. Um, and but there are still probably I think we'll start to see an influx of female coaches in the next five years as a group of players that I know who are still playing in their late 30s will probably move into coaching in New South Wales and I think that's probably a little bit symptomatic of of New South Wales as well that the older girls are still playing footy at the moment um, because they often started quite late so they're not their bodies are still holding up Uh um, and 
but I do expect to see an influx of female coaches um, coming through and I do hope that there will be a little a bit more of a pathway for people um, coming through women's footy. Well, we'd love to see those pathways as well and more women get involved in, in coaching. Tracy, I can't let you go without asking you one very quick question. And mm-hmm. so many of our listeners will know that Beck Goddard, um, who's the coach of Adelaide, of course, has incorporated music into her coaching. She sits, <laughs> sits around and plays the guitar with the girls and they have a sort of song that they sing together and so on. I read somewhere that you were once a musician, you toured with Regurgitator and that you recorded, I think, a rock version of the old Brisbane Bears theme song. Is that right? Oh, my goodness. Where are you getting this <laughs> intel from? I have from? my ways. I have my ways. Is this true? And um, and if so, do you incorporate um, a bit of rock, rock, uh, you know, music into your coaching do you guys get together and sing the the giants theme song in a punk version or something yeah well that's look that's a great question um to be honest i don't think most of the players and certainly the coaching staff don't know that i'm a musician um and i'm actually still in a band we've got a new band so i'll give that a plug the gold hearts <laughs> great um but um uh no i i have only really divulge that information to a couple of people when people have asked me what I did on the weekend and um, <laughs> might have been doing something with a band but um, yeah no I still dabble with the guitar here and there but um, <laughs> and yeah the Brisbane Bears theme song was a ripper and it unfortunately we recorded it the year before the merger before the Fitzroy merger and I and I actually asked one of our band members two weekends ago do you know any have any of us got a copy of it because I can still sing it which I won't but it was a ripper (laughs) I'm sure well look I would love to see you sing the GWS Giants theme song a few more times this year so good luck over the next few weeks Tracy and um, thank you so much for talking to us on the Outer Sanctum podcast well thank you for having me and um, thanks for supporting women's footy Tracy Kick has been a long time listener to this podcast and we actually met her at Mardi Gras a year ago we and did. it was so nice. She was called Tracy High Kick that night. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Mardi Gras to anyone who is. Is it this, is it this weekend? I think it is. I think so. Yeah, that oh, was such it. a buzz. I know. It was, was amazing. amazing. It was an amazing experience actually to be part of that. Although I think maybe Lucy, that's where you did your knee performing some dance yeah, moves, didn't you? Great fine in- incident. <laughs> It was so fun, though. Um, so you can celebrate the Mardi Gras by going to some games this weekend. <laughs> we your pride jumper. Yeah, that's right. So we've talked about um, – well, you'll be at the Witten Oval, obviously. Sure will. City, yep, Friday night. Bulldogs, Carlton. I know. It'll be a big one. And it'll be hopefully a pretty good crowd there. Come down after work. It's, uh, you know, an easy thing on a Friday night. It's going to be a beautiful evening and it's going to be a celebration there as well. Um, both teams, I think, are – probably equal favourites almost. Um, mm. They're both in sort of similar form, I think, now. and um, Missing some key players. Both yeah, of them exactly. Too. You know, they've both got a, a big out and they've got lots of um, younger players ready to step up. And I think Bulldogs probably have a little more depth in terms mm. of um, mm. experienced players. So I'm, as always, tipping the Bulldogs. And mm. I'll be tipping Carlton. Uh, Damien Keeping has been back and around the club, mm. which is great to see. So great. all the very best to him too. What's the games on Saturday, Lucy? Saturday afternoon, Lions and Fremantle at the South Pine Complex. This is going to be a really yeah. interesting one because I think we'd written off Fremantle a little bit. And to our detriment, mm. oh my goodness, they were so good. And the Lions looked great against Carlton. It took them a while to to find the scoreboard. But when they did, um, Kate McCarthy, that run, mm. there's, yeah. there's a lot to like about both of those teams. Saturday night, Melbourne versus Collingwood, and the parochial Melbourne supporter in me <laughs> is like, can everyone stop saying stuff about Collingwood? Because the last thing I want is for them to come it out. It does feel like they might be on the surge. I, I know. know. I I but I might step up to I them. kind of wonder whether Melbourne have had that loss they had to have. Is that... That's spider, like a true Melbourne PR. supporter. Melbourne PR. Really PR. Collingwood's um, due a win. That's the other way of looking yeah, at it. I know. Mm. Cliche. This is cliche central. Cliche <laughs> central. One week at a time. At, um, we'll finish off the round with GWS and Adelaide in Blacktown oh, on Sunday afternoon. Oh, I couldn't call that. No, I think that'll yeah. be a really good game. I mean, if Erin Phillips is back... I think it will be difficult to, to go past mm. Adelaide because she is so capable of dominating she a game. Is. But GWS 
uh, are on the rise and I think they've been playing some really good footy. So and they're home too, which was really powerful. Where they, you know, yes. definitely mm. has Last year when they played, that was one of the, the biggest wins, I think, mm. for the Crows. I think they beat the GWS by 36 points, which is a yes. huge winning margin in um, in this competition. The so GWS, Phoebe, they're a new look team. though. They're a new yeah. look Phoebe, GWS. Phoebe McWilliam. Oh my. Oh, yes. oh my. We, can I say, we have neglected to mention her on this oh, show. This is wrong. Love her. And she... I saw someone tweet on the weekend that she is the dominant forward of the competition, and that's probably right. I her mean, marking, it's, you know, she's up her there. Kicking. Oh my god! I know. And in that game on the weekend, when it was really in the balance, and she took that pack mark mm. and then kicked a goal from about fifty out, yeah, pretty much fifty it's a out, late in the game, just after she'd been cramping. Mm. Absolutely fabulous football. Great, Can I say something in, in the best possible way? She reminds me of a greyhound puppy. You know, she's got those really long limbs and really long legs. Not quite in control yet. Um, <laughs> so there was a lot of um, pieces of play where she just about had it. And yep. um, so a few key ones where she yeah, she made the grab and she held on. But the other, she's there, she's excited, she's got the, you know, and, and spent it before she had it or, or something. And I think if once she gets control of all those limbs, um, <laughs> she, she will, space. She will be a powerhouse. She, how many limbs does she have? She's got a long leg. A long leg. <laughs> <laughs> <And she's, laughs> I thought GWS were extraordinary. I love watching them. I think that they have adapted their play to the new, to a really fast game. And, I mean, obviously Alicia Eva and Jess Del Poss helped that as well. They've got um, some great youngsters and I think there's just so much to like about them. So I don't think anything's a gimme this round. Mm. One question, was Erin Phillips' goal better than Alicia Newman's goal? I'm going to say yes. Yes. I'm going to say no. Yes. Alicia's oh. was so exciting. Oh, should you get should you get though. seven points for a really good goal? I think <laughs> Stop so. It. Stop I think it. you should get seven for hitting the post. That's what my That's, dad always no, used to say. Yeah, it's it's harder. So hard. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. We know that we touched on some heavy topics, and just to wrap all of that up, we would like to dedicate today's pod to someone who's done some extraordinary work um, outside of football, but in um, the space of family violence and bullying and this week we heard that Rosie Batty is stepping away from her foundation and from the public eye and she has been a beacon of bravery and we um, all have had so much respect for her and there's no chance she'll ever hear this because I'm sure she doesn't follow <laughs> footy and um, but we just want to put it out there and say Rosie Batty we will never forget you and we will never forget Luke. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.